Kindred Church is a Christian community gathering in Reno, Nevada. We employ a dialogical teaching style, but for the sake of privacy, we remove the participants' responses from the recordings. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about the church and for our service time, location, and virtual gathering options, visit kindredchurchreno.com. All right. Yeah, welcome everyone. Thanks uh, for those of you who braved the snow and ice on the roads to get here. It shows some real dedication. I always like to see uh, who's the real Christian, you know, in this in this weather. The true believers, <laughs> the ones that show up. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. If you know me, that's very antithetical to the way I view <laughs> belief system. But it's always fun to have kind of the core group that shows up. So thank you for for doing that. I, I definitely slipped a few times driving here. Uh, so I hope that everyone is safe and uh, has a safe drive home too. So we're gonna be kicking off uh, a new series. Uh, for the next couple of months. We're going to be going through the book of Ruth. And Ruth is such a fascinating little book. It's it, There's so many things that can be said about it. I'm just going to be doing a little intro this week, um, kind of getting the story and the characters and all the important pieces of it down. And then we're going to, um, you know, kind of go chapter by chapter uh, for the next couple of months and then follow up with like, a, here's how some of the themes in Ruth kind of continue throughout the whole gospel narrative. Um, but one of the reasons we chose this book is because um, it, we'll see there's actually a little bit of connection to Christmas. Um, but what we love about Ruth, uh, what I love about Ruth is that... Um, it's it's just a story of like friendship and faithfulness and what God can do with those uh, seemingly simple um, attitudes or characters or, or you know uh, positions of the heart and um, I think that's very meaningful for us we're gonna get into a little bit of that today um, but we'll be going through that for a couple of months so with uh, no further ado I'm gonna try and do my slides um, from my phone I haven't done that here before <laughs> so let's see how it goes. <clears throat> First of all, uh, Ruth is a, just a great little story. I mean, it's almost like a little novella or something. It's just a real tight, well-formed, well-structured narrative. Uh, so I'm gonna go through the story of Ruth just really quickly, but I really strongly recommend that all of you go home and read Ruth on your own um, this week and, and kind of have the story in your head uh, for this series because it really is, it's so easy. It's four short chapters, take you 20 minutes maybe to read. Um, and it's just fun too. And we'll get into a little bit. Some of the language can be a little weird for modern ears and eyes, but uh, we'll We'll kind of get into some of like there's actually a little bit of there's like some funny scenes and there's some really interesting pieces of it that hopefully will make it a little more interesting reading so please go and read it this week um and and you know have it in your head for the for this next series but very quickly let me give you a quick recap of the story if you're not familiar the book of ruth is uh starts off with this family who is in bethlehem and uh, it's, it's during a famine they uh, can't uh, sustain themselves anymore so they leave they travel to a new place and they go to the country of moab and uh, there the husband of this family dies and leaves his wife Naomi a widow and her two sons marry uh, two Moabite women and then her two sons die and so now it's Naomi and her two daughters-in-law who are foreigners Ruth and uh, Orpah and they're really struggling so Naomi makes the decision she's going to go back home to Bethlehem and she says to her daughters-in-law you stay here stay with your families you're young enough to get remarried uh, and you know I'm just going to go by myself and they say no we're going with you she encourages them please there's there's nothing for you you may not survive please stay with your families Orpah says okay fine she leaves but Ruth says no wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And uh, Naomi sees Ruth's dedication to her and knows she can't talk her out of it. So off the two of them go back to Bethlehem, back to uh, uh, Judah, Judea. And once they're there, they're they're doing their best to survive as, as two women without family, without land, without men. And uh, Ruth goes as the younger woman, she goes to glean in the field, which was a rule in Israel in which people who uh, you know were uh, destitute could, could pick up some of the leftovers during the harvest. It was the barley harvest at the time. And so she goes to this field and 
she, she's gleaning some whatever little seeds and, and stalks she can get while the workers are cutting down the barley harvest. And she meets Boaz and he, he, he's heard about her uh, faithfulness to Naomi. He's very kind to her. He gives her a ton of food. He shares his lunch with her. He says, workers protect her, look out for her, make sure she has everything she needs. Sends her home with a bunch of food uh, for her and Naomi because he's very uh, impressed with her, um, her uh, dedication to Naomi. And uh, so they find out, Naomi tells her, well, Boaz is one of our relatives that can actually buy our land. And it's called a kinsman redeemer or a leverite marriage in which uh, if he marries uh, Ruth and they and he inherits their land, Naomi's and her husband's land, if Ruth has a son by him, now the son gets the land instead of uh, Boaz. So it's a way to keep the, the land in, in the family. And she says, this is great. If you, if you marry him, we're going to be fine. And so Ruth goes and, and pulls this uh, kind of very bold, uh, kind of crazy marriage proposal to Boaz uh, while he's sleeping one night in the field and he accepts and he goes he does some like kind of legal transactions at the city gate with the elders he allows another man who's actually first in line to to play that role of kinsman redeemer the guy declines Boaz says great I'll marry uh, Ruth they have a son they get the uh, they're all their land back and everything turns out uh, even better than it was at the beginning and that's kind of the quick synopsis of Ruth that's what we're gonna be looking at that story but there's so much interesting little pieces in there uh, that make the story funny uh, kind of embarrassing a little bit <laughs> but very interesting as well and um, what I want to start with, though, is what Ruth isn't. Ruth is not, as I've heard this before, it is not a guide for Christian dating. It is not a uh, ideal of, uh, you know, a, a meek, chaste, submissive woman. Uh, Ruth is not someone that, you know, young, single Christian women should, uh, you know, remember her meekness and her chastity. That's not what Ruth is. And it's unfortunate that we sometimes, you know, uh, present it that way. Instead, Ruth is a, a powerful, uh, strong, cunning survivor, uh, and, and she is uh, one of the few people, as we're going to see in a little bit, who is described as godly in the Bible in a very specific way. Uh, another question is: Is this a, a, a you know historical account? Is this are these real people that really lived and this the events really happened, or is it more of like an allegory that was kind of passed down to teach a lesson? And as is the case with most ancient literature, the answer is yes, it's both. Uh, yeah, it probably did happen, and yes, it's probably been embellished a little bit. And we remember that the Israelites, for most of their history, were a uh, oral culture, so they passed their stories down by retelling them. They didn't write it down. Um, so there was no like permanent record you could go back to and be like, oh, excuse me, you told that detail wrong. So it, it morphed a little bit, you know, of course, over time. But it is both. Yes, it really happened probably. And yes, it's probably also got some allegorical uh, pieces to it. But one of the big purposes of Ruth that we're going to look at it just to keep in mind is actually going to be at the end of the book. So we're going to go right to the end. This is kind of one of the big reasons that Ruth was told. And it's going to be uh, right at the end of the book. Uh, Ruth and Boaz have gotten married. They had a son. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and it says they named him the son Obed. Now he became the father of Jesse, David's father. That's King David. And then the book ends with a little genealogy of David with Obed in there. So this story is the origin story of King David, which was kind of like the hero of Israel, right? He was like the guy that established the kingdom of Israel on earth. Kind of maybe the way that we would think of like George Washington and associate kind of our identity as Americans with George Washington. That's who King David was. So Ruth is like his, uh, you know, how he came to be kind of story. And um, so it's really important to remember that Ruth is really also about King David and, and kind of the establishment of Israel. But now for us, modern Christians, we also look at David and we remember Jesus. Because Jesus was kind of the, the fulfillment of who David was for the Israelites, right? Whereas David uh, established a monarchical kingdom of Israel on earth, Jesus established a kingdom of God for all the earth, for all people, right? Jesus fulfilled what David was the type of, the prototype of. And so we read Ruth and we see Jesus here at the end. That through Ruth came David and thus Jesus. And in fact, Matthew chapter 1 in his genealogy of Jesus, he mentions Ruth by name, which is weird to put a woman in your genealogy of your hero at the time. But he does it a couple times, actually. And Ruth is one of the women in his genealogy of Jesus. And so we read Ruth recognizing the 
that because of Ruth, Jesus, Jesus came from the womb of Ruth in a way of saying, right? So we're going to read Ruth remembering that, that redemption of the whole world, first Israel through David, and then redemption of the whole world came because of Ruth's actions and who she was and who she decided to be. So keep that in mind as we go, because that's going to be a major theme um, that we'll see in just a bit. All right, so there's some good uh, introduction stuff. Let's go through a little bit of the pieces of Ruth. <clears throat> first, we're going to look at uh, the place that this is, takes place in. And the first one is um, the place and time. And Ruth is fun because it's almost like uh, it's almost like a play. You can almost read it like a play. It establishes itself right at the beginning, um, almost like a like a theatrical play. You know what I mean? So we can imagine like curtains open, exterior, Judean wilderness in the time of the judges. Very dramatic. That's how the book starts, in the time of the judges. Now, we know because it mentions King David at the end that this book or, you know, the story kind of came at some point into being um, after David was already king, right? Because they knew about David at that point. So it was written or, 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 or created sometime after the king, after King David, but it's set in the time of the judges. And the judges were like the tribal leaders that God had originally set up the government of, of his people, Israel. And um, it was a great idea, but through human greed and corruption, it came to ruin. And it left uh, Israel in a civil war, terrible things done at the end of the book of Judges. And um, just, and so it's kind of remembered as a difficult time in Israel's history. And so here we have Ruth in the time of the judges. It's a very dramatic opening. And not only that, but it's a famine as well. So a double whammy. It's about as bad as Israel could be at this point is where it opens up. And uh, interestingly enough, our next place, uh, like I said, we have connection to Christmas here is Bethlehem because that's where Naomi and her husband uh, lived at the time. And that's where they started. And that's where Naomi and Ruth ended up when they came back. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem because of Ruth. Kind of interesting. That's something I didn't know about this was Ruth went there. David eventually came from uh, uh, Ruth and her family. He was born in Bethlehem, so it was the city of David, and Joseph was from David's family, so what, during the census, he had to go back to his ancestral home, which is Bethlehem, and that's where Jesus was born. So already we have these connections to uh, to Jesus for us. Um, this is an important story for the Israelites, but it's also a really important origin story for us as well in our faith. The next place is uh, Moab, which is where Ruth is from, and that's where Naomi and her family go to escape the famine and try and reestablish themselves, resettle themselves. And this is interesting because it's meaningful for the original audience because Moab was uh, you know, they were neighbors. It was like, so here's like Israel. Moab is right on the other side of the sea. But Moab was an especially hated uh, neighbor for Israel. They really didn't like the Moabites. And there's even a time where God said, don't do anything for their good because of what they've done. And, and inter interestingly, if you go back far enough in their history, they're actually related. Uh, the Israelites and, and the Moabites, they're like cousins, the people that established these, these uh, tribes or clans or kingdoms, whatever you want to call them. And so Moab is actually, they're pretty closely related to Israel, but man, they are not fans. Really don't like the Moabites. So the fact that Ruth comes from the, from Moab, that she's a Moabite widow, huge strike against her, right? She is an outsider, a hated outsider at that. That's something to remember that Moab uh, is a place of, you know, there's those, we don't like those people. Get them out of here. And yet that's where Ruth comes from. And we're going to connect these to two major themes that I'm going to focus on at the end, but we're already kind of seeing them play out. And this is an important one. Ruth is an other, right? She doesn't belong. She's not like us. And I want you to keep that in mind. That's how people see Ruth. And then finally, um, I want to look at kind of real, where it's placed in our Bible. It's really interesting. Um, one of my favorite authors and thinkers right now, his name is Andy Crouch. He um, sees some significance in where the, the what's now our, our English Bible, the, the Septuagint, the Greek Bible, placed Ruth, which is right between the book of Judges, which I just talked about, and then Samuel King's Chronicles, basically the, the story of the monarchy of Israel. So you have these two like power structures, the Judges, which they crapped out, and then the Kings, which started strong, especially with David, but then they also crapped out, again, through human greed and corruption and selfishness that 
that led eventually to the exile of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so you have these two failed power structures, and right in the crux in the middle of them is this cute little story of Ruth, and yet through the, the actions and the choices made, especially by Ruth, but by the other characters too, we actually have King David and eventually Jesus and the redemption of the whole world. Not from the judges, not from the kings, from little Ruth and her faithfulness. And I think there's a very important um, story in there that we're going to see the importance and, and what God can do with a little bit of faithfulness from us. That's going to be our other major theme that we'll attack at the end. All right, so let's move on to uh, some of the main characters. Oh, that's right. Before we moved on, I did want to mention, um, as we're reading, some some things in this book are going to seem very strange to us, even like uh, offensive, <laughs> because this is an ancient, ancient uh, piece of work. And it's talking about a very ancient culture. So I just want to remind us, let's let's put ourselves in that mindset as we're reading that like some of these things, like we're pretty sure, like Boaz basically bought Ruth <laughs> and she did some things that are pretty questionable too that we'll get into in a minute. Uh, Naomi tells her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab to stay in Moab because she's too old to have children to be their husbands. <laughs> she says, even if I gave birth to boys right now, you wouldn't want to wait for them to be your husbands. So you might as well get out of here. Like weird stuff is happening, right? But just remember, this is a world of survival. Everything is about survival because it's not guaranteed, right? Land is about survival. Family is about survival. Marriage is about survival. Having children is about survival for the next generation. All this stuff is very important. There is weight to the things that they are doing. So when Ruth, now a widow herself, tells Naomi, also a widow, that I will go where you will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She said that knowing that there was a high chance the two of them were just going to slowly starve to death. This was not some fun little thing that she said because she's a nice person. This was heavy. This had meaning. Naomi was probably going to die. That's where she was going off to. She probably was not going to survive this journey. And now Ruth was cleaving herself to Naomi in this time. All these things they do may sound, sometimes may sound strange to us, but remember it's about survival. Okay. I just, again, keep that in our minds as we go. All right, let's look at some of the characters. We just talked about Naomi, a courageous widow. She, uh, you know, really does some, she's a survivor, basically. She's put in a hard place, but she moves forward and she does some, uh, some really cunning things to keep her and Ruth alive. Uh, Boaz also, uh, he's, he's, uh, the other main character. He's, I call him the generous landowner. He's rich. He's got a lot of land, got a lot of influence. He's older, probably married already, which is something interesting to keep in mind. Maybe not. Maybe his wife died. Some, some rabbis kind of went back and forth on that. But I mean, an older, wealthy landowner guy, he's probably married, probably has kids. Something to keep in mind. But he's so generous and he is described also as being faithful in the way that we're going to talk about in just a second. Uh, but he's very generous, but he's also, uh, he's one of the few characters in Jewish literature that doesn't have a fatal flaw. He's just a kind of all around good guy, does everything good in this book, which is rare, but very meaningful, especially for Ruth and Naomi. And then finally, of course, we get to the titular character, Ruth, the faithful foreigner. And again, remember, she's a Moabite, hated. Nobody wants her around. She's not like us. She's one of the enemy. Surely God doesn't love her, doesn't have a covenant with her, right? She's not a part of the God's special people group. And yet, there's something very important that happens in Ruth. The book of Ruth describes Ruth as what we might call faithful. The word is chesed. I'm trying to say that in a Hebrew pronunciation, but I'm terrible at that. And this word is translated lots of different ways in our Bible because it has a very deep meaning. We can't really quite get into one word. Um, merciful, loving kindness, uh, faithfulness, or my favorite, steadfast love. And we're going to look at um, where this word comes from because it is almost always connected to God. It is a characteristic of Yahweh. And in the book of Exodus, as Moses is up on the mountain for the second time after coming down, seeing the golden calf, shattering the Ten Commandments, he goes back up and God comes down to him in a mist and God says who he is. He identifies himself. Look at where it's at. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands of generations. It goes on, but I'll stop there for our point. What my Bible translates as loyal love is the same word chesed. And it's actually used many, many times throughout the Bible in a lot of different ways, but it is known to be a characteristic of Yahweh. It is a part of who God is. And a very 
important part. God's faithfulness to his people and to his covenant to the Israelites, despite what they're doing, is a pillar of their belief and their survival and their identity as people of God. And that's true for us too. God's faithfulness to us, regardless of whatever, is so important. Our, our salvation is based on. It's where we know that we can trust God. And now here's Ruth, one of the very few humans in the Bible described as Hesed, little Moabite widow Ruth. <laughs> this woman from the hated people, the hated neighbors, and a widow at that with nothing to her name is an embodiment of Yahweh. It's a big deal. And it comes to our other theme, which is she represents the other, and yet here is God working through her. And yet she, she can embody Yahweh. She can be one of God's people. She can be godly, despite not being part of the club, not being like one of us. So what Ruth does, and we see this throughout in her actions, but it's clearly stated in the, in the story, for, and it's very important for the original audience, that she is faithful. She has steadfast love. She has loyal love. She has this characteristic of God. And it's actually said twice. It's also said of Boaz, but it's said of Ruth twice. She is doubly like God than even the great Boaz is. Let's keep that in mind. Ruth is the hero of this character because she is the most godly. And actually, this is where we see, I think, God in the book of Ruth, because interestingly, God's not mentioned that much in this book. You don't see him uh, you know, talked about very much. Ruth is the embodiment of God in this book, in this story. Uh, in my research, I came across uh, someone named Dr. Judy Fentress Williams, who talks about this aspect of the book of Ruth, the importance of the other, someone who is lower or who has been uh, marginalized or oppressed in Israelite society. And yet here is God working through here, through her to bring not just King David, but indeed Jesus and the salvation of the world. And as, as a black woman herself, Dr. Fentress Williams knows exactly what that feels like, I'm sure. To be someone who is not the kind of person that the culture is set up to glorify or reward or set up for success. And yet here we have Ruth facing a culture like David before Goliath that does not want her to succeed. It wants to crush her and push her down and push her away. And she conquers it and becomes essentially its own mother because she is the mother of David and eventually Jesus. So I want to go back to the beginning that Ruth is not the kind of feminine ideal of this meek, chaste, submissive woman. She is a conqueror. She is powerful. She is faithful. Her love is steadfast. We'll get more into that in a little bit. But Ruth is quite a character. It can be lost in, in our modern reading of it, but I want us to keep that in mind. Ruth is a hero and an unlikely one at that. All right, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm running a little bit late. I knew I was going to do this, but let's get into some quick purposes. Uh, Ruth is part of a uh, collection of stories in the Bible that were sung at festivals called the Megaloth. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, this was probably sung at like um, harvest time because it's it's set in the harvest. So it was probably during the, the festival of weeks. And um, we, uh, we want to remember this because this was a story that the Israelites passed on. They sang this and recited it to each other during a specific holiday, kind of like our Christmas carols, right? This was a story that the Israelites wanted to remember. These were themes and lessons and morals that they wanted to teach each other and keep in their minds every year. So as we go through the themes, as we finish up with the big themes of this, remember that the Israelites were trying to remind themselves of this every year, and we should too. Interestingly, this, the kind of literary structure of Ruth gives us a lot of meaning, and it's a comedy, actually. And I'm, I mean that comedy in the sense of like the classical, like tragedy comedy spectrum, you know, um, in which, to quote my, one of my favorite movies, Stranger Than Fiction, in a tragedy you die, in a comedy you get hitched. And that's essentially what uh, Ruth is. It has a lot of the comedy uh, uh, elements uh, of ancient literature comedy. But like all kind of classic greats, it actually transforms itself. So in the same way that like Romeo and Juliet starts as a comedy, 
comedy of these two starstruck lover teenagers and ends in a terrible tragedy. Ruth is the other way around. It starts with real tragedy, but it transforms itself into a comedy at the end. And we can kind of see this in the beginning in the structure where right at the beginning, I mean like within the first few paragraphs, all the important people, all the meaningful people in the story, the men, die off right away without doing anything. They just die. Oh, okay. So now this is a story about women. The women are the protagonists. Okay. I get it. It's a comedy. Very funny. That's kind of the feel of, of what the story would have done for its original audience, right? That's why it's kind of unique. There's very few stories where women are the protagonists in the Bible. And even though Ruth is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, it actually passes the Bechtel test. The only one in the Bible that I'm aware of that does that. If you don't know what it is, you can Google it later. But it means that women play a central role without men being a part of the story. And that's important because what a comedy really does, it's not just entertaining or funny. There are parts of that and we'll get to it. But really it's counter-traditional. It's a story that begins to challenge our cultural norms. Because you can talk about taboo subjects in a comedy, right? Because it's just a joke before you can talk about it seriously. Yeah, Ruth does that. It's counter-traditional. It says, break out of your norms a little bit because here's a hero that came from someone that, well, they're not supposed to come from. And that's going to be an important part of, of what we see a lot in Ruth. There's also, uh, in line with a comedy, there's a lot of innuendos in this uh, story. <laughs> we have little ears now, so I'm going to be careful about what I say here. But, uh, you know, it's it's around harvest time, so there's a lot of kind of wordplay with the fertility of the land and the fertility of the people. And, um, you know, it's very common in agrarian societies. But we see a lot of kind of funny things in here. So when you see things like seeds and, uh, you know, uh, the, the fertility of the land, the produce of the land, it's going to have a double meaning. For example, when uh, Ruth and Boaz have a particularly meaningful uh, moment of contact on the threshing floor, and he sends her home with an abundance of seed in her garment. Barley seed, of course, is what I mean by that. <laughs> but pay attention to that, because there's going to be a lot of it. And we'll get into that more, uh, at, uh, I think it's next month when we're in chapter three. It is a wild scene. And you can totally imagine, this is the story, I think it's worth noting, that they are like reciting to each other as a culture in their holidays. <laughs> and you can imagine, like, they get to the threshing floor scene, and everyone's kind of giggling, and the, you know, the kids are like, something's funny is happening here, and I'm not sure what it is. It's one of those stories, right? The, the parents are kind of winking at each other as they do it. So it's actually quite a funny story too. But I want to bring that up because again, Ruth is not, uh, well, again, going back to this kind of infamous scene at the threshing floor, when Ruth uh, goes to Boaz while he's in a drunken stupor and uncovers his feet, is what it says. Let's just say it's not his feet she's interested in uncovering. Feet is a, a, a metaphor for something else, another part of the anatomy. And we kind of gloss over that a lot because we don't want to give young people any ideas now. But Ruth is like, she's getting some business done, right? She's not the submissive uh, feminine ideal, right? She's making things happen. She's bold. So much so that Boaz is like, if you, when you read through the story this week, which I bet you will now, pay attention to his, uh, pay attention to what he says at the, when he wakes up and sees Ruth and, and what she's been doing at his feet uh, while he was asleep. <laughs> pay attention to his exclamation afterwards. It's, it's interesting. It's telling. <laughs> He's very excited that she slept at his feet. Let's say that. So there is some fun in it too. Uh, but again, that's important because we need to change, I think, what some of us may have thought about the way Ruth is viewed and who she is and where her power comes from. All right, we'll finish up with a couple of major themes. I didn't really follow up with this much. Oh, I did, good. <laughs> um, the first being, as I mentioned, the other. And the value that God sees in the foreigner or the one who doesn't belong or the one who doesn't look like us or act like us or uh, you know who doesn't fit into the mold that we say is best. And the Israelites were a very insular people. They were God's special people. They had special rules not to marry outside of the Israelites in order to like not you know uh, dilute their blood or whatever. Like It was important to them. It was a huge part of their identity. 
identity. We are God's special people on the earth. And they were. But there are so many reminders throughout the Bible that God says, yes, I have set you apart for a purpose of redemption of all of humankind, but I still value everybody else. Don't let it get to your head. Ruth is a huge reminder of that. The importance uh, of the other. Oh, I went to the next one. <laughs> and that God still cares about and loves and works through the one who doesn't fit in the mold. Ruth is not just a reminder of that, but a reminder of how important it is to value that person and welcome them into your society the way Boaz did. Welcome them into your into your families, into your communities. Even if you're like, hey, they're not like us. They're not the ones that, that you know, fit into our values or whatever. And I think a lot of us in our, in our congregation, we can identify with that. Because maybe we didn't fit into a lot of what other churches say we were supposed to look like or act like or talk like or whatever. And we've kind of found each other in a little bit in that. But I also want to admonish us that we have our other two going. Our community absolutely has people that are like the bad guy. But let us not forget the value of Ruth, that God knows and cares and can work through all of us as long as we have some godly characteristics, which is the next theme, that redemption comes through faithfulness, through hesed, through steadfast love, through choosing to be like God. You know, all the ancient uh, kind of religious traditions around Israel said, hey, there's tons of these gods. They're in control of all the things. There's a water god. There's a river god, fertility god, a sky god, sun god, all that stuff. And we are but mere puppets against these uncontrollable forces. And the best we can do is survive for a little bit and hope to stay out of the God's way while also trying to get their favor. The Israelites had a very different story in which they were God's beloved children. And now here we are in this modern world and maybe we don't have gods anymore, but we absolutely have forces. We have systems, we call them, that we exist in. And we are absolutely can feel like puppets at the, at the whims of these systems in our world. Ruth reminds us that God doesn't need judges or monarchies or power or wealth or influence. He doesn't need economies and presidents and war. God just needs a little bit of faithfulness to do great things. We get to be a little Yahweh in the world. We don't have to be tossed around by these forces. The time of the judges, a famine. God's power comes through us deciding to be steadfast, to be faithful, to be loving, to be kind. That's what redemption comes through. I want to read to kind of finish up something that I think, um, it's well, it's really one of my favorite verses, um, and it's in the prophet Micah, and it speaks a little bit to this, of what does God want? What can God use from us, despite a world that is trying to push us down, that is trying to kill us? With what should I enter the Lord's presence? With what should I bow before the sovereign God? Should I enter his presence with burnt offerings, year-old calves? These are religious ceremonies. Will the Lord accept a thousand rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Should I give him my firstborn, my offspring, for my sin? He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord really wants from you. He wants you to carry out justice, to love faithfulness, has said, and to live obediently before your God. We don't need power and, and money and influence. Those things are well and fine. What God wants from us is just a little bit of faith and that he can work with. And Ruth reminds us of that. She should not have been able to do anything, and yet she gave birth to King David and eventually Jesus. So as we're going through this story, a lot to remember. I know a lot of information. I want you to remember those two things. God values those who don't fit in just as much as those who do. God can work through anyone who is faithful. Redemption comes through steadfast love, through faithfulness. So let us be those people who are faithful and loving, kind, and steadfast to the people in our lives. And remember the story or the, the lesson of Ruth. We truly hope the message resonated with you today. Kindred Church holds a special place in our hearts, and your support makes a significant impact. If you're moved to contribute to our mission, visit kindredchurchreno.com to donate. For any personal notes or questions, send us a message at kindredchurchreno at gmail.com. Thank you for being a part of Kindred.